Well, I have in my hand a book that was written just a few years ago, not too many, um, called Dangerous Calling by a guy named Paul Tripp. And it's about, the subtitle is Confronting the Unique Challenges of Pastoral Ministry. 2012 so when it was written. And it's a book that I, I read when it first came out, and it was uh, good for my soul and spoke to some things that I uh, personally had gone through and was just was good for me as far as maturing uh, me in the ministry and preparing me to uh, hopefully stay in ministry. And um, I picked it up a few months ago to, to revisit some of its content as I've done kind of over, over the years and, um, and was struck by something. As I looked at the back of the book, there's five endorsements on it from, from pastors uh, endorsing the book. And um, I was struck by the reality that, that three of the five are no longer in ministry or at least no longer in the ministry that they were. Some of, I'm getting all those details, but they're no longer in the ministry that they were because of moral failure, because of leaving the faith, because of a few different things. Um, and that reality was, was sobering to me, um, as it is, I'm, I'm sure, to, to many of you. A couple summers ago, um, three of my own friends and, and mentors uh, in the ministry uh, fairly locally were removed from their, their positions because of uh, moral issues, failures, and uh, that was difficult for me. Um, and, and many of you have heard the news stories of pastors um, that are well-known, um, you know, being removed by their elders or caught in scandal or, or whatever it may be. Our church in particular has been uh, affected by this o- over the years at, at, at different uh, capacities, and so... This is not, I, I've talked to a few guys and it's, it's, it's kind of this conversation of, I wonder if this is more common in this day and age or if it's just in the internet world of social media and, you know, everybody knows everything all the time. If it's just, we're just knowing about it. And it's just probably a combination of, of the two. It's hard, to, it's hard to say for sure. But regardless, I think what that does is sort of remind us all that it's important that we know how, because those, those times can be confusing. Those times can be discouraging. And no doubt those, those times are, um, you know, there's people who aren't in church today, like that, that literally chose not to come to a gathering somewhere today because of instances like that, right? Because they were harmed by, by some of those pastors, because they were, uh, you know, discouraged by the, the, you know, what happened, or they were, or just, you know, wrote off Christianity in general because of, of these sorts of stories. And so it's important um, that we don't ignore them. It's important that we don't over, you know, magnify them and get discouraged and, and downtrodden. But it is important that we know how to view, rightly view, those in ministry. And, and in today's world where, where, you know, technology allows us to access teaching and preaching from, from different pastors all over the world, I'm grateful for that, right? I've been greatly influenced and, and encouraged and, and taught by men like John Piper and Tim Keller and, and Matt Chandler, who live far, far away from me, and I would never have known uh, if it wasn't for the ability to, you know, pull up their podcast or, or their, their sermon videos, and, and I've been shaped by that, and I'm grateful for that. And so there's, there's a goodness to that influence, there's a goodness to that technology increase, but there's also a dangerous side. Uh, there's a dangerous side to the, the the culture of celebrity pastor, and then more than that, more, you know, more than the, the the celebrity pastor world, there's a there's a danger to, you know, not to to wrongly viewing those on on the local stage of the everyday church 
here in Marion and all over the world, right? Because those, are, those guys aren't the only ones in ministry, right? It's, we sort of put them up there and think that way, but man, there's, there's churches all over the world and there's men, much like myself, that are up before their people, humbly trying to deliver the word of God each day. And we need to know how to view them. And, and so Paul is going to address that. Um, that Paul is going to address it, what, how do we rightly view and, he, and he's getting to the heart of the issue where he has really been uh, talking to the Corinthian church about the divisions that are among them. Again, we started the series and Paul is, you know, hang around. If, if you're new here and, and you're wondering what we're going to be teaching on, this, this book is going to lead us through all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Everything from like speaking in tongues and, and healings to, to uh, marriage and divorce to, uh, you know, sexual morality and immorality and just all, sex within marriage. I mean, all sorts of fun stuff is coming up. People were getting drunk on the, the communion uh, elements and, and just all sorts of jacked up stuff in this church. But Paul, uh, and he's going to address all of those things, but he, but he starts out addressing the, the issues of division because it matters deeply that the church is united. And this church has become divided around the influence or the popularity or these factions following different leaders and preachers. And we've covered that in previous weeks from different angles and drawn different lessons from it. And Paul is today going to uh, continue in that, and he's really going to get down to the, uh, the kind of the heart of the issue, and he's going to say at one point, this is how you should regard us as pastors. And so uh, that, that's our hope today is to, is to is really the, the title is to look at how should the people, how should the church view pastors, both their local pastor and others that, that they have access and influence or access to and influenced by. Um, so I'm grateful that uh, we as a church, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but, but we preach through books of the Bible, and we let God set the agenda, and this is one of the reasons, like, I would not have preached this sermon, right? I'm not going to, if, if, if I'm just picking topical sermons, I'm not going to pick this one out and talk about how you all should view me. That's weird, right? Um, and, and, you know, just disclaimer, this doesn't end with, with me asking for a raise or anything weird like that, okay? So, but, but God sets the agenda when we choose to preach through books of the Bible, then we're going to go through these verses, and we've got, we got to deal with them. And so um, that, that's the good news. That gives me great comfort that this is not me, but, but the Lord. And so uh, I think Paul is going to, to teach us a few things about how you as people, and, and myself included, how we should view pastors. And so uh, he's going to, we're, going to, we're going to start. He, he's been in this dialogue, and, and there's other things to, to sort of, um, you know, the greater context. I would encourage you, if you haven't, you know, been following along with us, that you, you could read the rest of, of the book. But we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 18. And, and Paul it has just been talking about how it is God that does the work of, of building his church, that, that different men uh, and different people who play a role in that are, are simply planting and watering, planting and watering, planting and watering, and working the soil. But God is the one who gives the increase. And, and he's given a, a caution. We looked at that last week. To be careful how you build upon the foundation of Christ Jesus and his church because it matters deeply to God. It is the temple of God that we're building, and one day all that will be revealed on the last day. And so he goes from that to, to verse 18. He says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Now that's a confusing sentence, and if you've read some of uh, Jesus' other teachings in, in Christianity, you know that that's, while it may be confusing, it's a pretty common principle in a sentence where Jesus sort of flips. It's this upside-down kingdom life that, that, um, that Jesus calls us to. And he, Jesus says it this way, if you, anybody looks to save their life, let him lose it. Lay it down 
And there he will find the fullness of life. And so Paul is, is driving this home a bit with these people who, who have come to know Christ, but they have still primarily been influenced by the culture. And this culture is the day in which the sophists and the, and the other uh, philosophers and people were, were, were teaching in this town square, teaching in these public arenas, and, and people would, would gather around to listen. And, and people would, that, that's sort of what made uh, that's what their culture valued, was people with great oratory skills and, and great speakers. And, and so they had let that come into the church where they were, they were sort of latching on to different preachers and, and teachers based on how good they were at delivering the message orally, and, and then they were following them. And so they created this the vision about that. And so Paul had planted the church, and then he had left, and, and there, there became this, you know, people started criticizing, you know, Paul wasn't really that good of a teacher, you know, but Apollos, he is. We, we should really kind of get away from what Paul had taught and start following Apollos. And then others were like, no, we don't want to do that. We don't stay with Paul. Others like, hey, I really want, I like what Peter taught. I want to go there. And Paul is addressing all of that because what these people are doing is they're trying to find their own identity, their own uh, value and importance by latching themselves onto this or that leader. And we kind of all have that, you know, tendency to Uh, when there's someone with influence, with with popularity that everybody knows, you want to be able to associate yourself with them a little bit, right? Maybe last week when I was watching the Super Bowl, it was tempting for me, this is silly, but it's tempting for me to not tell people that I know a guy who caught an interception off of Jimmy Garoppolo when they were in college, right? Y'all know him too, it's Derek, but... I, you know, it's like, you kind of want to just associate, like, that doesn't mean, that, what does that say about me? Not jack squat, right? I didn't catch the pass. It's like, I want to associate with Derek's level of celebrity that he caught a pass when he was playing division. You know, it's, it's, it's that sort of thing. And, and that's crept into the church where, where they're wanting to latch themselves onto this teacher, that preacher, that, that, that brand, fill in the blank, whatever, however, however they posture. And Paul is addressing that and saying that they missed the whole point. But here's what he says about it. If you or the teachers or the preachers, anybody, anybody thinks that they're wise in this age, think that, that, they, that they are somebody who has all the answers, man, let him become a fool that he may actually become wise. So what Paul's saying is the culture is going to elevate this level of, you know, whatever. Paul's saying, be, be careful. Because these people were attaching their, their, their newfound Christian faith and thinking, okay, now that I know this about Jesus and... I could, I could talk, like, they sort of coming back into the, the public arena saying, man, I'm untouchable, right? Like, I have this, this Jesus, this gospel, and now I'm applying it to, to this, and, and man, you know, I'm raising to a whole new level, and, and, and people would even sort of claim themselves as, as kings, and, and, and just really the celebrities of this day, if they could insert themselves into this conversation and have something new or have something relevant or have something compelling to say that was what this, this world, this culture would latch onto them. So the same sort of thing is happening. So Paul's saying, be careful. If you think that that is you, if you think that you have something to offer the world as far as your own wisdom, you need to be careful. And in fact, what he would say is you need to become like a fool so that you can actually become wise because true wisdom isn't found in what's impressive to the world and philosophy and all those things. True wisdom is found in the gospel and trusting in Jesus Christ. And that requires we humble ourselves. And so Paul is, is giving that um, warning to these people and saying, for the wisdom of this world, verse 19, is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or, or the world or life or death or present or future, all are yours, and you are Christ and Christ is God. So I think the first thing that, that he is, is, is reminding 
these people about how they should view the church, how they should view their pastors. And the next, the next line is in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. is going to say this is how one should regard us. But in, in this passage, or this uh, part, I think the first thing he's reminding us is that, that these people, these, these pastors that God has called to serve the church are, are just that. They are called by God and equipped by God. And here's what I mean by that. People, oftentimes they're, they're, um, they're tempted to try to find the people that are equipped, right, who have been to seminary, who have this pedigree, who have this deal, and, and they want to call them to come and serve their church. I was at a church um, much earlier in my life as, as a youth pastor, and the pastor that they had, had, that they had, they literally got because their search committee gathered together and said, we want somebody with a doctorate. We want somebody who's gone to seminary and not just gone to seminary for a master's, but we want somebody with a doctorate. And so that was literally what they looked for when they called their next pastor, was looked for the guy who had been trained and was, quote-unquote, equipped to come and serve their church. And here's the danger in that. What Paul has just said is, hey, if anybody thinks that they have earn something, right? If anyone among you thinks that he's wise, let him humble himself because here's, what, here's how he, he finishes that. <clears throat> it, 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 he's, he's saying that, that if you think you're wise, like actually he's going to say it later. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. But he's saying for verse 7, 4, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? If, you, if then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? So what Paul is going to say is, hey, don't forget any good gift, any level of influence that you have, any ability to deliver a message well, you didn't earn that. Any grace before the Lord, any, um, you know, like even your faith, like you didn't earn that. That was a gift from God. You received that. And so if, if, we, if we approach it the other way around saying, okay, I really want somebody who's equipped. I want somebody who has the pedigree. That, that, that doesn't mean they're bad. Don't hear me say that. It doesn't mean they're wrong. But we want to understand, like as a church, our values, we want to equip the called and not call the equipped. Because when we start calling the equipped and people who just on paper have been trained, right, the danger is that those people are going to rely on what, what they have learned in the, the education that they have sought and what's been given instead of relying upon what's been given to them by grace. And that leads to humility, that leads to a, a person who's willing to lay down their life and shepherd God's flock. And, and whenever you flip that around, it can sometimes lead to entitlement and lead to a disconnectedness where, where those people feel uh, greater than the re- it's kind of me and then it's you all, right? And, and, that, and that's, not how, that's not how Paul says it should be. It's not how Jesus said it should be. And so, again, it's not the seminary is wrong. But what we want to do as a church, as, as a body of believers, we want to make sure that we are, we are looking primarily for someone who's been called by God to give their life to the service of the church. And we evidence that by, by observing them for a while, by seeing if they're, if they're just trying to get their own platform or if they're really just laying down their life. So we want somebody who's not afraid to, to get in here and move chairs. We want somebody who's not afraid to, to do the stuff that nobody's going to notice. We want somebody who's willing to, to just give up their time and serve people who really have nothing to offer them in return, right? Somebody who's, who's, who's willing to serve in ministries that are not um, you know, sexy and getting them a lot of airtime. When we see somebody like that and they say, hey, I feel like God's calling me to ministry. And we as elders go, yeah, I, I, I'm seeing that too. We're starting to see some gifts in you. We're starting to see that heart in you. And when that person comes along, then we do everything we can to equip them. 
We, we do everything we can to give them resources, to teach them, to, to put them in places, to send them perhaps to seminary, to send them to a place where they can become more and more equipped. But it's equipping the called. It's not assuming that somebody who's gone through some equipping program is, is the same as being called by God. So that's the first thing we need to know about pastors is they are called and equipped by God himself. Not because they've gone to some, they have some degree, have gone to some program. Does that make them a pastor, does that make them, they need to be called primarily by God. I, I understand that's, that's, that's not black and white, that's, that needs to be discerned within the local church. That's why I think it's, it's better as often as possible whenever you can call somebody from within your own you know, congregation that you've seen and known. And, and, and like, if you're always hiring from without, there's always that risk of, man, you, you don't know for sure. You, you, it's hard to know for sure if, if that person has been affirmed by a local body of elders or if they've just gone through a program and considered themselves equipped. And so that, that, is, that is the first piece. Um, the, the second piece, uh, the, the second thing I think God wants us to know about our pastors is that they are, you should see us, you should see pastors as under shepherds. So verse four, or chapter four, verse one says, this is how one should regard us. Paul's referring to himself. He's referring to um, the other leaders of the church. So Paul planted the church and then he went on to plant other churches and he's hearing back from these people that there's the, all these divisions. And, and Paul, uh, and so Apollos and Stephen, all these people are different leaders that have you know, served in this church. And Paul is saying, hey, this is how you, you guys are all divided about how you should view it. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. So here's the deal. Here, here's, um, here's, here's the bottom line. Pastors don't own the church. Pastors don't own the people that are a part of the church. What he just said in verse 28 and 29, or verse 22 and 23, is that you're missing the point. We'll talk about this in a minute. Is like pastors are fellow sojourners with you because you're worried about latching onto this and, and kind of having your identity. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Paul. And he, you know, he was the one that baptized me. Or I, I know Apollos. He's the one that, he said, you're missing it. You're, you're trying to find your identity and value in those guys. You're missing it because those guys, you don't belong to those guys. Those guys belong to you. As a church, like they, they, you don't belong to the pastor. The pastor belongs to you. And, and you know what? And more than that, all of you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God, and so we're all in the same deal. And so you are not my people, you are, you are God's people. You are his sheep, and he is the good shepherd. He is the one who is responsible for you. He is the one that holds you in his hand if you are a believer. He is the one who has committed to never leave you, never forsake you. And, and what he has started, what he begun in you, he will finish it and complete it all the way to the end. Like, that is his promise. That is his work. And those he calls to serve in ministry, we are merely under-shepherds of the great shepherd. What does that mean? That means that we, as one of the next points we'll look at, is that we will be held accountable for how we take care of God's people. So there's lots of parables told by Jesus where, where, there, where there's people that are given uh, you know, something to work with and expected by the master, the owner of those things to, to make the best use of them. And, and again, there, there's different meanings to all of those, but there's very much this familiar language of stewarding or shepherding or, or taking something that belongs to somebody else and taking care of it. And, and we as pastors, N.T. Wright says, we're much more like household managers that are sort of in charge of this grand estate and, and keep watch over the silverware and we distribute the funds as, as needed. But none of it belongs to us. We are simply there to, to manage it and watch over it. And so we are under shepherds of the great shepherd. And, and I shared this last week, like Hebrews 
13 talks about that one day we as elders will stand before God and give an account. We will actually be judged. We will have to answer before the king of kings, the great shepherd himself who laid down his life. We will stand before him and give an account for how we led his church, for how we cared for his people. And that's terrifying. And that's humbling. It should be. So you should see us as under shepherds who are called and equipped by God and also will be accountable to God. That's sort of what Paul is going to say um, as we get down into the next couple of verses. He says, moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. So you should see us as stewards. Um, the, the, the language he used earlier in chapter 3 uh, as servants of the church, that, that word has a few different meanings and, and translations. Uh, but, but this particular you know, Greek word is, is not doulos, the bondservant, but rather diakonos, which is really um, more implying the, the posture of a table waiter. Good morning. My name's Jordan. I'll be taking care of you this morning, right? I, like, that's, that's more our role. Can I get you started with something to drink? Like, it's that posture of, like, I'm here to serve and take care of you. Like, I don't own this place, I don't, like, but, but I'm here to serve. And so that, that's more the, the, the po- and again, it, it shouldn't be ran with too far. There's going to be different offices, and, and deacons really, you know, serve the church by, by serving. Or they lead by serving, and elders are really called to, to serve the church by leading. And so we have a different role. We have a different responsibility to sort of be the one, you know, leading the mission and accountable for the people, but we have that posture of, of a table waiter. And so um, what, what's important to remember is that, that in that, we will be held accountable to God. So Paul's going to say, verse 3, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. Because here's what's happened. Paul has left, and now people started talking about him and going, you know what? I didn't really enjoy Paul's sermons that much anyway, did you? No. Well, maybe we should, we should, you know, maybe we should start following Apollos. He's like, I really like him. He tells good jokes. I like, I like Apollos. He's, he's really good at delivering. He, or, you know what? He only, he's pretty short. Paul was a little long-winded. <laughs> Paul, y'all think I'm long. Paul put somebody to sleep. He fell out of a window and died one time. Right? True story. He went down and resurrected him and went back to preaching, which is really bold. It didn't even phase him. But, but, but just so you know, like, there's, there's context there. So be grateful. But... So we start to posture ourselves and, 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 you know, and say, oh, I like that, I like his style, I like his jokes, I like his, his length, or, or whatever it may be. And so Paul is left, and, and, and so he's writing back, he's saying, hey, I know y'all are talking about me, and it doesn't bother me, because I'm primarily going to be held accountable to God, and, and not, not you all. So i got to answer to him, primarily, and not you. So, so he's going to say, it's no small, it's, it's, he's actually saying, it's a very small thing, it's not, a, it's not nothing, Okay, it doesn't matter. It's not that what you all say and, and, and your critique, like, it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's a small thing, Paul says, that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, verse 3, he says, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything. So Paul's saying it's not even about what, what I think of, of myself. Moreover, he says, because I'm not aware of anything, but thereby, that doesn't mean I'm acquitted. Just because I don't think I've done anything wrong, that doesn't mean that I haven't. It is the Lord who judges me at the end of verse 4. Therefore, don't pronounce judgment before the, the time. So he's saying, don't, don't pick out this pastor. Oh, he's the one. No, don't, don't, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't start pronouncing judgment before the time. Because, before, don't do that before the Lord comes. Because when he does, he will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So what does that mean? Does that mean we just, we're just real skeptical of anybody? We don't let anybody lead us? No, it means we keep them in the right context. 
It means we keep them in the right role that God has called them to be, not as primary, but as under-shepherds. And we understand that, 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 they are, that pastors are going to be answering to God primarily. And that makes the, you know, the, the court of public opinion, the, the different things that the people are going to say, much secondary because ultimately I've got to answer to God. And I should be, and here's the deal, I should be much more afraid of God than I am of you all. You should want that. Talk about a little bit more about that next week. But, but you should want that, right? You should want my fear to be primarily in him and not, not you all. Now, does that mean that, that, you, that you shouldn't speak up, that you don't give feedback? No, no, no. Uh, this is a balance that, that certainly could be abused. If you take that and see, see, pastors don't have to listen to their people. and you know, They can do what they want. No, no, no. Like We here at The Journey, we're governed by uh, a board of elders that are made up primarily of men that do not get their paycheck from the church. Okay, so that's actually written into our bylaws that, that the elders, the governing body of this church, it, it can never exceed a ratio. It always, we always got to have a plus one majority of lay elders, meaning volunteers, guys that don't get their paycheck from the church. That has to stay a plus one. Has to. Why? Because we don't want to be making decisions based on you know, somebody's income or somebody's opinion. We want to make sure that, that volunteer Lay shepherds who, who aren't going to be, their bottom line is not going to benefit from, they are the ones that are. So I'm accountable to those elders, and therefore I'm accountable to you all. Like, I'm accountable to you all because of, those, because of that system, because of those elders. So that doesn't mean that what you say and you're, you're like, we, we want to receive that and we want to, we want to hear that and engage you all about how we can, you know, move the mission forward, how we can care for you all better. We want to hear those things. But, but you need to, but just know this that this is our ultimate authority. Okay, so we're going to try to do our best with you, run that through this filter. So if you have thoughts, you have feedback, you have concerns, we want this to be the authority that we rest on, not popular opinion. And, and you guys have seen churches go away because, you know, enough wagons were circled that they had enough votes that they got the, the direction moved. You've seen that sort of thing happen. And, and that doesn't mean that we're perfect or that you know, abuses can't happen, but, but that's how we want to posture ourselves, knowing that, that we will be accountable to God. And he has spoken. He has given us wisdom on how to lead his church, on how to move forward. And as much as possible, we're going to try to submit to that primarily. And if it's not clearly addressed in the scripture, then we want to address that with wisdom and prayer along with you all. That, that's our heart and our hope. We're not doing it perfect. We're not going to do it perfect, but we're going to try. We're going to keep striving because we're held accountable to him primarily and not to the court of public opinion, if you will. The next thing, along those lines, Paul is saying, I'm not per- you should regard your pastors as fallible, as human people who will make mistakes. So you need to know that. Paul is saying, hey, it's not, it's not the biggest thing that you guys all have opinions of me. It's really... Even like myself, and you didn't know that, like what Paul's saying is like, I, I, I'm judging myself. I, I'm probably harder, like most pastors, like me and Alex, like anybody you encounter, like you need to know that like I'm probably way harder on myself than you could be, right? Like that I'm always going to be my number one critic. I'm always going to be aware, like, oh, yeah, I know I need to do that better. I wish I would have done that. I'm always, you know, but, but that doesn't mean we don't want to hear from you, but just just know that 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 we are aware of our mess-ups, 
Um, and when, where we're not, where there are blind spots, then that, that's where God has called you all to, to, to walk alongside, and particularly the elders. But, but you need to know that your pastors are, are not perfect people. I heard somebody say that uh, when they ask, hey, are you a ho- do you consider yourself a holy person? Do you consider? And they said, no, that's, that's, for, that's for ministers, right? Only the ministers are, are, are good and right people. And so um, you just need to know, though, that that's not what Paul's teaching. And he's saying that all of us are fallible. Only Jesus was perfect. And the rest of us are imperfect and struggling toward that perfection along with him. And one day he'll come and, and all that will be exposed. But you just need to know that, that we are indeed not perfect people. Verse 6. But the, one of the last things is, is that we should view our pastors as part of the flock. I.e. not celebrities, not people on a pedestal. So let's look at verse 6. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. So the beef is not actually with Paul and Apollos like, or Cephas. Like none of those guys are competing with each other and trying to get this crowd or whatever. We're going to talk about that next week, how that would be appealing, right, and how it makes sure pastors have the right view of their people. We'll talk about that next week. But the, the beef is not there with Paul and Apollos. <clears throat> the beef is with the, the people are making that the issue. And Paul is saying, hey, I've applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? What he's saying is this pride, this issue that's causing division, is because you think that you're thinking that you had some part in this. You need to remember that anything you have, you received it. So stop acting like you didn't receive it and you earned it. And when you act like you received it instead of earned it, there becomes this posture of humility and, and grace that extends to the family and goes beyond it. So I think as we, we look at that and we look back to <clears throat> verse 21 and 22 where Paul is saying, hey, remember, it's not, you don't belong to the, to the pastor, the, the preacher, the, the leader. In fact, they belong to you and you all belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. And so... It, the last way I think that God wants you to see pastors is his fellow sojourners, fellow strugglers, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, like not set apart, not these, these people that, that, that can do no wrong or, or that when they do, like you have to, no, like fellow sojourners, a part of the flock of God. And, and here's what can happen whenever we start to exalt people when we go beyond, right, we get puffed up based on this person or that person, which is what Paul says, that, that, you not, that we've written this for your benefit so that you won't be puffed up in favor of one against another. Because when that happens, it's unhealthy both for the pastors and for you as people. Let me put it this way. Um, there are too many stories of pastors who, once they do fall, once they, they do end up in scandal, what they'll begin to share is that they have been feeling alone, and struggling in the darkness for a long time, but they didn't feel like they could bring it up. Now, is that y'all's fault? Nope. But, but here's what can happen, this unhealthy pressure. Is whenever the pastor's put on this pedestal, when people are looked at him as this or that, like, it can be really difficult for, for the, us, for those people, to continue to be a part of the flock in the sense that we struggle, in the sense that, we have days where we're discouraged in a sense that <clears throat> we need people to pray for us. We need to confess our sins. And what can happen is when you put the, somebody on a pedestal, they don't feel like 
they can be known by anybody. They, don't, they feel like if they do confess, if they do own up to, to that, or they do say that they're struggling, that, that it, it may cost them their job. It may cost them people's respect. They may not be able to lead anymore, so they, they just keep trying, they keep going on, and it can lead to this really unhealthy pressure and this disconnect where pastors are no longer able to be a part of the flock. Instead, they're, they're put in this different place that they don't belong and that they can't survive. And again, that is not... It's not the people's, like, it's, it's, the, it's those guys' responsibility to speak up, right? And so after that summer where I had three, you know, of my friends drop out of ministry, I, I told the elders, I said, yeah, like, I need you all in my business. I need you to, I need you to pry. I need you to, to ask. I need you to make sure that I am known because it, it can be a temptation to just pull away for, for multiple of reasons. But here's the deal. It doesn't just matter for the pastors. It matters for you all. Because, as I said earlier, the impact of fallen pastors, the impact of, of, of these things are, are far-reaching. And there are people who, who have walked away from the faith or have been discouraged or have been hurt. But, but even if that's not you, the, the, it's, it's hard to watch somebody fall, especially when they've been put on a pedestal. It's discouraging. Whenever you've attached your, your walk with this person or that person, whenever they do stumble, whenever... Um, they are human and they need grace. It can be difficult for you as a, as a people to extend that if you have placed them in this unhealthy posture or position of whatever status. Because I am going to fail you. I am going to have to admit whenever I have struggled. Hopefully, you don't ever have to hear that, you know, I've, I've been caught in scandal. I please pray that, that, that my ministry doesn't end that way. But I don't think any of those guys that I said earlier from the back of that book would have thought that either. And so we, we need to make sure that, and their churches, the impact, <clears throat> the impact and the fallout on their people has, has been far-reaching. And so we want to guard against that. So they're part of the flock, not celebrities. So what do we do with this? Here's... here's my attempt at application, which was difficult for me, if I'm being honest, for this sermon. But my attempt at application for you all is the first one is just to thank you. Because y'all are a really great church. You're a really great church to serve. And I mean that. My wife and I have, com- have had lots of conversations. Because we've been in churches that haven't been so great to serve in. We've been in those places where pastors were treated as employees, the you know, dance monkey dance kind of thing. And if you weren't dancing and doing the things that the people thought that you ought to do, then I, I've been in an office where people would come in and threaten your job and would, would tell you you had to do things this way. Otherwise, people are going to stop giving or, you know, we hold the authority and you, we can show you the door. I've been in those places. And so there's, there's been lots and lots of times where it's just hit my wife and I and we've just been, I love our church. I love our church. Because you are a people that, I mean, you're, you're not, like you care about what the Lord has called us to do. Listen, we've joked before, like, you, you map out our, the church, our journey still and always history on paper, and there's no reason we should still exist, right? We've gone through some stuff. And if you're new here, like, we're, we're glad to tell you the story, but we won't get into it all today, but, but like, we've gone through some things. 
and, and let's prove that you are not a people who are here primarily for one personality or one pastor or, one, or another. You're here because God has called you here. You believe in the mission, and you believe that God has called you to play a role in it, and you're committed to this. And it's that that makes you a pleasure to serve. It is that that, that makes my wife and I feel loved by you and embraced by you and a part of you. We don't feel separate from you. We don't feel judged. Like, no, we feel like we're a part of you. We feel like you all love us. And, and, and we feel that way because oftentimes you tell us, and we appreciate that. You tell us that you're praying for us, and, and that, that's a pleasure. So, so really, honestly, thank you. Thank you for being a great church. And, and my hope is that, again, I didn't pick this sermon out of any need. It's just where we're at in preaching through the book of Corinthians. My hope is that it it's preemptively keeps us in this posture, though. Right? That, if, that, if, that if God does call me to a different role or, or if, if I need to step out for whatever reason, that, that you continue to be a people who are committed to God's calling, his mission, and you understand that you didn't belong to me anyway, you belong to God, and I'm an under-shepherd here. And as of that, like, your, your mission, your great shepherd is never going to fail. He's never going to leave the throne. He's never going to abandon his mission. He's never going to abandon you. And so... We need your grace, and, and we, we may need your restoration, but the, the mission goes on. So thank you for being that. The second thing, I, as far as application, I would say to keep that up. Make sure that we're in community. Make sure that there's people that know us. Make sure that we are known, that we don't become separate and on this island. It doesn't have to be all of you, to, but, but, but no. Like, call the elders out. Call, like, make sure, hey, are, are the birds, is somebody knowing them? Is somebody loving on them? Because I... Almost without fail, as I talked to the three guys that I knew, you know, even our lead pastor from years ago, those guys, almost all of them say that their downfall started whenever they, they stopped being known, when they stopped engaging in community, and they started performing and, and living out of that. Like, that, that's the beginning of the end so often. So make sure that we're known. Make sure that, that we're in community. Not just me, but Alex and, and Anthony and Derek, as we call these other guys up, like, make sure that that we don't just look at them and go, oh, hey, what can you do for me? But no, 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 hey, how are you? Are you being known? Are you being cared for? Are you being loved on? And if no, okay, how can we do that? How can I? So that's important. And then along those same lines, don't stop holding us to a high standard. Don't. Don't, because of this, don't just give permission for, for me and other pastors to just do what we want and, and not hold us to a high standard, not call us to, to, to do better. No, no, don't stop that, but just make sure that, that the standard that you're calling us to is godliness and humility over and above giftedness and popularity. So please make sure, so keep holding us to that, but make sure that the standard that you're looking for in your pastors, whether that be me or others, is, is primarily godliness over giftedness and humility over popularity. And then lastly, Continue to show grace and encouragement to young men in ministry. And I say continue because you've been great at this. Too often, the, the Sunday morning service can kind of become this place of performing and we've got to do everything just right. And, and, and we cringe, there's visitors here, we want to do everything well. And we do, we, we don't want to be a distraction. You know what I mean? We, we want to have a service that is excellent to the place that you're not distracted by our bumblings and whether that be the band or myself, like, so that you see Jesus. And not, but also, we don't want to do it so much so that you're looking at us and not Jesus. And so what, what I love about you, though, is that you have been a place who has warmly embraced those that God has called into ministry, and when we've given them the pulpit, you have shown them grace and encouragement. That you haven't thrown a fit, oh, that's not my guy, that's not this. 
No, you, you, you warmly embrace and encourage. I pray that you continue to do that. You've, you've shown that to me. I'm a young, like, I get it. I'm young. I know that. And so my hope is to continue to grow in, in the giftedness that God is, in the maturity that God is calling me to, and, and I, I want to continue that. So, so please continue to show me that. But also for Anthony as our pastoral resident, for Derek who, who is here laboring and serving our church as he seeks what's next uh, for him in the future, like, and we give them the pulpit, continue to show them grace, continue to encourage them, continue to show them to celebrate their strengths, to support them and pray for their weaknesses, continue to be that place. Because we want to be a place that, that isn't just about what we like right now, but what God can do in the future. We want, I want to be a church where we can cultivate young men in ministry, where, we can, where people can, can learn and be like, get a lot of things that I wish I would have had. Like I want to, I want to serve, and, and you guys have, have created a, a great place for that, so I appreciate that. I would invite you to keep doing that. Thank you all again. Really, really is a, is a pleasure to, to stand here, and I covet your prayers. I appreciate your prayers. I appreciate your encouragement, and I appreciate your commitment to the mission because it's really not about me. It's really not about the journey. Jesus has stepped into this broken world. Jesus is reconciling a broken world unto himself. Jesus is providing healing and hope and salvation through his blood, through his sacrifice on the cross. And there are people, it's Southern Illinois, there are people all the way to the ends of the earth who don't yet know the goodness of that message. And that's what God has called us to be about. So may we keep that mission in mind. May we keep everybody in a right perspective. May we see that move forward as Jesus is lifted high. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful again for your goodness, for this church. I just pray that you would bless us now, Lord, just with a reminder of, of, of the grace that you've showed. May we not get over the cross. May we be moved by it once again in a fresh way that you have purchased for yourself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and that includes us, that you have made a way that we are a recipient of the greatest display of love ever known. And help us, Lord, to love one another to care for one another, to show grace and humility to one another, to, to exalt and hold up godliness and humility in our leaders and in one another, primarily over giftedness and popularity. Help us with that, Lord. We're, we're drawn to those things. We're, in, like, we're humans, and, and we're, we, like the Corinthians, are drawn to those things. So help us. Help us to value the things that you value and help us to live the way that you've called us to live. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.